1: So, thank you very much. Go check out the site strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio collections and
0: support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This is Phil Stevens, strength coach, uh,
1: strength heal, the power lifter, Games athlete and uh,
2: Hey, is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, uh, Associate Professor at the Kerrigan Institute, and actually I'm now teaching for their master's program in clinical neuroscience, so that started on Monday, which is awesome, I uh, created the Flex Diet Cert, and still here in Minnesota. Yeah, you always have to sort of add that, right, because it's a rarity. It is, yeah, so I go back and look for posterity's sake, like, oh yeah, he was home a lot. <laughs> right, yeah. no,
0: you're right, yeah, record it for, uh, yeah, for the future. Yeah. All right, everybody, we have what may be a slightly briefer episode. My microphone is way on the fritz, and I am going to replace it. But I shouldn't even draw your attention to that. (laughs) Now that's all you can hear. If that's what you can hear, maybe it's just me. Um, We got some news, and then after the break, we're going to talk about what's in your fridge. So you can take this as a spot check for yourself and think about what's in your fridge and, and why. Okay, so... Um, First, some news. These are not brand new, but I just stumbled across this again. So, Strength and Muscle Sport News. The new Dietary Guidelines for Americans are out. This is the 2020 through 2025 guidelines. Um, And I just thought I would run down these things with you. I've always thought about these things sort of as... The Ten Commandments of nutrition, right, not to sound sacrilegious, but it's not it's not the my plate or the food guide it's just sort of this joint publication from the u s d a and h h s and they're mandated to do it every five years, so the new ones build on the old ones, and I just thought I would run down what the feds essentially in the u s um, think are the you know In this case, sort of the four commandments of nutrition. Maybe this is a sign of the times, right? Ten is too long. (laughs) We need (laughs) sound bites, so we reduce it to four. (laughs) Yep. So let me uh, run down this quickly. It says the foods and beverages that people consume have a profound impact on their health. I think we all know that. Um, Increasingly robust evidence shows that a healthy dietary pattern, and that's going to come up repeatedly. This is a carryover from the last guidelines. Pattern um is sort of the key it says the core elements of a healthy dietary pattern are remarkably consistent across the lifespan and even uh, different health outcomes right whether you're worried about diabetes or cancer or whatever Uh, since the first edition was published in 1980 the dietary guidelines for americans have provided science-based advice and again they're mandated uh, through an act uh, that says every five years the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Department of Health and Human Services must publish these guidelines for the general public. Um, and you could get this if you were to just type in 2025 or 2020 dietary guidelines for Americans, you can actually get this giant, like 30 meg uh, PDF file. Uh, I'm just going to give you the executive summary here. Um, One heading here says consistent and evolving. Although many recommendations have remained relatively constant over time, the dietary guidelines have evolved as new scientific knowledge has become available in three important ways. And here they are. First is recognition recognition that diet-related chronic diseases like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and obesity, and even some forms of cancer are very prevalent among Americans. That's not a surprise, I think. Uh, Today, more than half of adults have one or more diet-related chronic disease. More than half diet-related chronic disease. So that's the first uh, concept here. The second is a focus on dietary patterns, as I mentioned. Nutrients and foods are not consumed in isolation. And that's one of the things that I liked in the last dietary guidelines, right? Is that we're not talking about just a nutrient or even a whole food which of course is a collection of nutrients some good some less good but what's the pattern and I think that's what's going to lead to our topic after the break about you know what's in our fridge maybe you can sense a pattern with the way the three of us eat not that we're paragons of virtue but you know Phil's put on enormous amounts of weight in very short amounts of time we've all gained and lost 10 20 or more pounds of body fat you know by manipulating these things so i like to think we more or less know what we're doing here Um, anyway the third sort of focus here under this consistent and evolving is a focus on lifespan as an approach so different stages of life the patterns are actually pretty similar but that's what we'll get to Uh, the guidelines here uh, a healthy dietary pattern is not a rigid prescription and they're really into customizing uh, these days. And I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I mean, overall, I think it's good. People are going to have different allergies or intolerances or likes and dislikes, but if you give people too many options, they just don't listen. You know, uh, how many times have we all been told, just put me on a diet, you know, but then that's Mike's diet or Phil's diet or Lonnie's diet, you know, that we're prescribing and it may or may not fit them. So I guess they're saying, listen, you got to learn the, the basic principles here. To make it customizable. Now, so here's the meat and potatoes of it. There are four pillars, if you will, this time. Uh, One, follow a healthy dietary pattern at every life stage. And we might tailor that to us to even include our athletic careers, right? Like career longevity is a big deal. We're all old enough to be feeling the scars and the arthritis and things like that. Um, So they list the lifestyle. I'm sorry, life stages as infancy, toddlerhood, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and then also pregnancy and lactation, and then finally older adulthood. Um, And I won't bore you with that. They do say a lot of the basic principles are consistent, though. Number two, customize. And this is what's standing out, at least to me, in the new 2025 uh, guidelines here. It says, customize and enjoy nutrient-dense foods and beverage choices to reflect personal preferences, cultural traditions, and budget. Well, I'm glad they're at least saying that budget thing, because we have all run into that, right? I can't afford to eat healthy. You know, and then you can counter with stuff like, dude, dry beans and rice are dirt cheap, you know. Yeah. Um, Oatmeal. Um, You don't have to eat skinless, boneless chicken breasts all the time. Now, that can get pricey. I get it. Um, but, you know, even on the protein side, cans of tuna or cheap protein powders that might fit the bill. Uh, number three, focus on meeting food group needs with nutrient-dense foods and beverages and stay within calorie limits. Uh, and for our group, it might be like what Phil does is try to blast through calorie limits, right? Like how do you how do, you do the opposite in a sense to gain weight? Because I was talking uh, to a former student just recently about this. She's working with a client who, you know, he wants to, he wants to gain a lot of muscle mass and lose fat at the same time. So, you know, it's always that, that discussion, like how do you get in a calorie surplus and a calorie deficit at the same time? Like that's what mesocycles do, you know, periodic goals that change. That's why that happens. But uh, here are the food group comments here this time. Core elements of a healthy dietary pattern based on food group, Uh, vegetables of all type, Um, specifically dark green, red, and orange. And then they kind of have a separate category for uh, beans, peas, and lentils, also just considered uh, veg right now, Uh, and also starchy veg. So, you know, you could go for starchy veg. It might have that extra bit of nutrient in it, like, you know, yams, right, the traditional bodybuilder kind of food. Get a little bit of uh, the orange in with your starchy. Uh, Fruits, meaning whole fruit. Grains. Uh, half of which are whole grains, right, that have the bran. They're not just the stripped-down endosperm starch kind of thing. Um, Dairy, so fat-free or low-fat milk, yogurt, and cheese, obviously customized with lactose-free versions if you need it. Protein foods, and, you know, for all the talk uh, about plant-based this and that, the dietary guidelines still say lean meats, poultry, eggs, eggs, seafood so good you know we're not going to just discard the idea that animal proteins are more complete they're more anabolic if you will Uh, but it does say beans peas and lentils and nuts in this category too and i think that's fine right throw those on top that's sort of your thing phil like you know eat um Mm -hmm. eat what you need and then throw other stuff on top and i'm telling you nuts are a great way peanut butter peanut butter shakes handfuls of mixed nuts that's a great way to throw healthy calories uh, on top of everything, and maybe even enhance cognition and stuff like that. So, uh, and then oils—I can't say I agree with this one. Oils, including vegetable oils—well, that's where I'm mm. raising an eyebrow, right? Most, yeah. You know, Mike and I—we talked about that. Most vegetable oils are crap, uh, frankly. The omega-6 inflammatory stuff, corn oil, safflower, soybean, cottonseed oil. Um, but now, if you want to say olive oil, then I'm on board, right? But you can't just go to the grocery store and if something kind of generically says vegetable oil, man, run from that. Uh, and then they also mention seafood and nuts under oils as well. So you can see that some of these things, they don't fit neatly in a food group like protein uh, or or veg, Anyway, the last one here, number four, limit foods and beverages, high in added sugars, sat fat, and sodium, and limit alcoholic beverages. Now, the language sometimes changes, even though the guidelines don't. This is limit alcoholic beverages. In the past, you know, they've sort of been a little bit softer. Like, have your your beverage, you know, two for guys, one for gals, and that's based on, like, alcohol dehydrogenase and stuff, body size, why men get a little bit more, but now they're saying just limit it because there's been a, some science trickle out in the last, I'd say two, three years that I've been noticing it that really no amount of alcohol is recommended necessarily. Right. So just try to limit it, I guess. But again, that's, it's like limiting sodium or saturated fat. It's like, all right, uh, I'm not going to completely avoid that or I'll, I'll be a, a, a twink my whole life. <laughs> um, <laughs> For added sugars, less than 10 percent of your calories. For saturated fat, less than 10 percent of your calories. For sodium, less than 2,300 milligrams per day. I can tell you that's going to be tough, because uh, it's going to. Oh,
2: isn't it? That seems low. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. low. Average Americans easily consume and double that. Um, yeah, and it's going to eliminate things like soup, which is where you might get your vegetables, or you know have it, uh, at work. I mean, I guess you can get the lower sodium soups. And then it says alcohol choose not to drink or limit your intake to two drinks a day for men and one for women. So again, the actual numbers throughout what I've just been reading you here hasn't changed that much, but you know, they just sneak in a few extra little tidbits, like choose not to drink if you can. Uh, I don't know if a lot of our listeners are going to do that, but so th- those are the guidelines. Um, the executive summary again this is an enormous document if anybody wants to go check it out just making you aware uh that you can go get this giant pdf uh and maybe when we talk about what's in our respective refrigerators you'll get some idea about how maybe we interpret this stuff but you can see how they build on old ones if anybody's familiar with dietary guidelines they're just not letting go a lot of with a lot of stuff that I think a lot of lifters don't fret about, right? Like a lot of keto people, they're not going to fret much about saturated fat anymore. They're just not, um, especially when they don't have a lot of sugar and carbs in their diets, you know. Or sodium, we've talked about that in the past. You know, if you are on a ketogenic diet, you're excreting sodium like crazy. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you want to go on a real low sodium diet.
2: Mike, does this all sound just the same to you or any... Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it all sounds pretty similar, but like you said, with the alcohol, there's a few things that are a little bit different, and if you look at the updates kind of over time, there's no radical, complete shift in, in five years, but yeah, slow, kind of hopefully steadier progress. I do agree with you about some of the the oils. I, Based on the data I've seen, I don't really know how they can leave that in, but... I'm sure a lot of people will cry that it's all just, you know, special interest based and we shouldn't listen to it at all. But Me too. There's actually a lot of data that goes into this. It's not just special interest. <laughs> yeah, no, but you're right though.
0: You know how they do that, the FDA or the USDA, when when there's a big question, they kind of open things up to the public for comments. Right. And, you know, and we've had guests on the show who actually talked about their experience doing that. So you'll get the sugar refiners people come out or the probably Power a lot refiner. of these, yeah, soy growers of America things or Mike, you and I remember their the high fructose corn syrup booths that were sponsoring a lot of conferences, trying to like rebrand yeah. it as not bad, you know,
2: and wasn't one of them like it's just sugar or something like that. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. And I want I wanted to sneak up there with a big poster board and just tape up.
2: Yep. That bad,
0: <laughs> you know, because as if right, the sugar sucrose is fine or something. Um, Phil, I don't even probably have to ask you, but um, a lot of this stuff I'm sure you follow because you being more off grid in a sense, you know, and like gentleman's yeah. farm and all that, you're just going to follow a lot of this stuff anyway. Yeah, I mean, we do. Even the alcohol thing, we don't drink a
1: ton. I could easily stick to one to two a day, and it ain't going to happen. It's more like
0: one or two every few weeks. Yeah. So. Well, my uh, my wife was joking, and I agree with this. Instead of two a day like my brother actually tended to do that but he's hypertensive I'm like dude don't do it you know um but um yeah I I look at it more like I'm gonna save up that one or two and if I go out on Friday I'm not gonna count (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yep so yeah
2: I saw that in some people's HRV scores after on january 1st i would see normal normal just completely tanked so i yeah. emailed more than one client of how many drinks did you have the night before <laughs> right i remember you uh, when you
0: guest lectured to some of my seniors like that about that stuff they're like yeah. oh because that's the kind of stuff with the hrv people are tracking they they just want to automatically assume it's their exertion and overtraining and it's like so many things affect this
2: no. Yeah. And it's a super easy way to exactly point that out that, yeah, you're training everything else affects it. But, you know, doing that's a stressor on your system. And that's not my judgment. I'm just saying that for your system, eh, that was a pretty significant stressor. So mm-hmm. do with it as you want from there. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Like, yeah, if you are on the edge of overtraining, maybe you don't want to touch the alcohol.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see. We got two more quickly here. This next one I'm, I'm curious about you guys because I don't do any of this, and listeners are probably rolling their eyes and you know <laughs> the acute and prolonged effects of different durations of foam rolling on range of motion, muscle stiffness and muscle strength. This is a Japanese paper, uh, Nakamura and colleagues. Um, let's take a look here. Foam rolling has been used in sports settings to increase range of motion and decrease muscle stiffness without decreasing muscle strength or athletic performance. Uh, But they wanted to dig in more, right? It'll it'll always say, however, there are gaps. So they assigned people randomly 45 participants uh, to one of three groups, 30 seconds of rolling once, 30 seconds of rolling three times, or 30 seconds of rolling 10 times. Now, that sounds excessive to me, but we've talked about that before. People go into the gym and they spend their first half an hour, you know, rolling in and, and this and that. But I'll skip to kind of the bottom here. It says there was no significant change in shear elastic modulus. Now, Mike, you're the engineer here. That's how much tension it it takes to make something deform. Does that sound right?
2: Yeah, it's a mechanical property looking at are you changing the way a tissue would deform? Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: So no changes in that uh, or muscle strength in all groups. Uh, the study suggested foam rolling for more than 90 seconds. So I guess it would be that second group, that 30 seconds for three little bouts uh, was effective in order to increase the range of motion immediately without changing muscle stiffness or muscle strength. And then they just point to some key points here. Um, dorsiflexion range of motion. So they're looking at the lower leg here. Dorsiflexion range of motion was increased after 90 seconds or 300 seconds. So that's the 10 bouts uh, of foam rolling intervention, but did not increase following 30 seconds. So just the quick 30. Uh, there was no significant change in elastic modulus after 30 second, 90 second, or 300. And lastly, the increase in range of motion after foam rolling could be contributed uh, with the change in stretch tolerance, and that when I saw that, I thought about what you had said once, Mike, about it you're not actually changing the tissue acutely, of course, you're just sort of i don't know uh, allowing your n- nervous system to say, "Okay, I'm going to allow this." Is that fair,
2: or what do you think? <coughs> Yeah, like the there's been, I think, three studies that have looked at this. Like the old school sit down, do the hamstring stretch, you know, we measure how far you can get to your toes. Then a group then who uh, repeats that, so they do it multiple times. And then they look and they go, ooh, look, you can stretch farther than what you did before. Therefore, static stretching is a good thing. But then when they looked at the mechanism of what's going on, you didn't really lengthen any of those tissues or change any input to the nervous system per se, but what you did is you told them, okay, go to you feel a stretch of a 9 out of 10, or whatever the study says. So you actually got worse at feeling sensation, right? So your tolerance for that 9 out of 10 actually got a little bit better, which enabled you to go a little bit farther than to still hit that 9 out of 10 target, Mm -hmm. which... To me, it's kind of backwards. It's like I I kind of want to know where all my limbs are in space, and I kind of want the best information. I don't know if I want to get better at a stretching tolerance to push harder into something with less feedback. That seems backwards to me. Numbing, almost, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I could put, uh, give you an injection of Novocaine or something there, and you could probably stretch really far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil... In group settings and all that
0: kind of stuff, I mean, where is the status of foam rolling, and and do you encourage it or whatever? It, it's it was real bad there
1: for a while. Like everybody had a foam roller and they were doing thirty minutes of it. And yeah,
2: 40. I knew people were traveling on planes with their foam. Yeah, it was foam, yeah, it was everywhere.
1: And I see the fat has dropped down a bit. I mean, we have a few at the gym. Um, people only like I'll get on one if I need to pop my back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll just roll my back up, my back. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, you know, people will use them if something's hurting or something. You know, some a specific thing is bothering them. I don't have a lot of people that just have like a foam roller routine. Okay. Yeah. And things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, foam rollers are neat and all, but I mean, if most of my people, if they have a real issue, they go see somebody. So we'll get them some soft tissue work done, things like that.
2: You mean a real professional? Yeah. (laughs) Foam
1: rollers, they just haven't panned out like people hoped, I don't think. Well, I mean, the foam roller industry loved it.
0: (laughs) Well, this study says if you're going to do it yourself, um, 30 seconds won't cut it. Do 30 seconds uh, three times, essentially. Um, Otherwise, you might be wasting your time. That's kind of what I'm taking away from this. Yeah, 90 seconds isn't much. No. Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. And you know what I like about it, to be fair? I mean, not to be too salty is it's proactive. It's proactive self-care, you know, just like nutrition would be or something else. It's an important uh, addition in just from a completely different domain. Mike, I know you do this. I I had a nice phone call with Sean Casey recently. He's been on the show. He does um, some soft tissue stuff in addition to, you know, the nutrition and the exercise stuff. It just creates that proactive Mindset, I guess, if that's the right word. So,
2: Yeah, I like the mindset. I just, I mean, I wrote an article, what, 16 years ago that everybody hated about why you should stop foam rolling and everybody lost their mind. And shout out to Smitty at Diesel Crew. He was the only guy who wanted to run the article. Everybody else said it was insane. Um, But yeah, I, I love the idea. I think that it may be useful for some people. I don't really think it's worth a lot of the time. I think you can take your hand and your thumb and do some other stuff and just myofascial work on yourself and get a lot more specific with it and get a lot greater result from it than flopping around on a foam roller like a dead fish. But, you know, I like the idea. (laughs) You know, Mike, um, it might have been Sagan.
0: said, skepticism doesn't sell, right? And so that's what you're running into. (laughs) I want a T-shirt, right? Skepticism doesn't sell. (laughs)
2: Yeah. at the time i i literally was going to file for a patent on a foam roller that had like these little spikes and bumpy things on it because everyone was all into trying to make it as painful as possible without any other rationale nice uh, and i did it in good conscience and yeah i i i probably should've done that. <laughs> <laughs> metal spikes with vinegar on them <laughs> yeah that's, that's what you saw like who could make the protein. hardest stiffest foam roller with the craziest thing on it to create the most pain like that's what sold a bunch of items for quite a while yeah so. yeah. all right i've got
0: one more quickly before we go to break and then we talk about what's in our fridge maybe people can look in their own fridge this is protein as a topic and Protein's always a, an issue with lifters, of course, because we eat far more than most people, uh, to the chagrin of some dietitians or health uh, professionals, I suppose, although there's no good data to suggest that lots of protein is damaging uh, to healthy people. But this is from the Institute of Food Technologists, how protein bolsters COVID-19 recovery. So I've just It's so pervasive here in the States. If you're in another country, you're like, oh, you poor Americans, you're just saturated with COVID. And yep. (laughs) But (laughs) so it says, though sometimes overlooked, nutrition plays a critical role in the treatment and recovery of COVID-19 patients. Um, And they start off right off the bat here with a sidebar. It says, quote, in addition to anti-inflammatory and antiviral drugs, Amino acids can play a role in mitigating the release of cytokines, thus decreasing overall mortality. So I have seen a couple of different papers. In fact, I have a little thing on the the door of my fridge about my COVID supplements. And most of the stuff is things that are anti-inflammatory that I do anyway, uh, just because I'm an inflamed old lifter. But um, anyway, it says, One complication of COVID-19 involves the so-called cytokine storm, a hyper-inflammatory response, caused by the overrelease of cytokines Uh, and of course that can cause uh, multi-organ failure and even death Uh, and it says in addition to anti-inflammatory and antiviral drugs amino acids do play that role in mitigating the release of cytokines and that's according to Ferrara in a brand new paper in 2020 Uh, interestingly the IFT suggests some individual aminos here Uh, L-glutamine supplements 10 grams three times per day um let's see people who did that they found that were they were hospitalized for fewer days and were less likely to require admission to the icu to intensive care Uh, Hmm. that's c-e-n-g-i-z (laughs) cengiz kengiz at al in 2020 says glutamine may help preserve lung and intestinal function and significantly reduce the amount of pro-inflammatory cytokines so that's interesting I've, I've long been interested. Glutamine is one of those things where if you're taking it to get buff, you're g- going down the wrong rabbit hole. But if you're doing it, if you're really overtrained and, and that kind of stuff, it might be one of those arguably conditionally essential amino acids that your body can make, but not fast enough. If you're under a huge amount of stress kind of thing. Um, the data goes back and forth on that, but the other, is as arginine and glycine may reduce the number of certain inflammatory agents in the alveoli. So right down there in the mm. sacs of your lungs, thus limiting damage to the lungs. And that's Ferrara at Al 2020. And then maybe simplest of all, complete proteins like those found in animal products may also exert an anti-inflammatory effect. And that's uh, Fernandez and Quintella. Um, in 2020 so these are it's based on new findings it's not just the stuff that we've known but it sort of does reinforce but the idea of amino acids or proteins as being anti-inflammatories it's just pretty cool it says to this end the european society of clinical nutrition and metabolism or ESPEN, recommends immediate initiation of oral nutrition supplements uh, that provide mm-hmm. 400 calories and 30 grams of protein per day now that's per day and i mean for us, that would be per meal, <laughs> I think. Um, and then it says, in addition to modulating the immune response, protein is required to prevent the loss of muscle function and the catabolic response to COVID-19. One metabolic derangement associated with severe COVID-19 is impaired muscle metabolism, um, increased muscle and protein breakdown, decreased muscle protein synthesis, and increase uh, in acute phase proteins, according to Stachowska stakowska um in 2020 Espen recommends 1.3 grams of protein per kg for critically ill patients and if that doesn't sound like a lot to you because a lot of lifters are doing more like 1.6 or 2.0 or more grams per kg um you know when you're not hungry it's hard to push food on people but i thought that was that was interesting stuff so this, one of the things that we already do I guess is what I'm suggesting yeah. could put us uh, in a protected mode oh, that's cool yeah. eat the meat, um, eat the meat. <laughs> yeah eat your meat how can you have your pudding <laughs> if you don't eat your meat so alright that's going to be it for the news when we come back we're going to ask each other some questions about what's in your fridge and why
1: Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Doctor. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because I mean, look at me, come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text the uh, Keto Ebook all in one word to four four two 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 to receive your free copy. Do it, do it now.
0: Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast Airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test. In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture, similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. And we're back. All right, everybody, this might be a slightly shorter episode because of some technical issues we're struggling with here, but we're going to get to something good. Uh, This week, what's in your fridge? So I want you to take the opportunity, if you're listening to this, to take a look in your fridge and think about why those things are in there. And that's what I want to ask these guys about some of this. Now, I should probably add the caveat. I don't necessarily mean your long-term freezer because I think we all probably have a separate, you know, freezer for the half a cow kind of thing and and all that kind of stuff but stuff that's at the front of your fridge of course matters because that's going to alter your behaviors right it's the kind of stuff you can reach in and just grab so let's talk about that phil um just out of memory i guess i'm asking you but like what what's in your fridge snapshot right now
1: um milk we get raw milk from a local dairy. Okay, raw. So yeah. we've got some of that. That's today. We get that every Saturday. Um I'm just thinking shelf to shelf. There's some orange juice up there. Uh, next to that would be a bunch of eggs. So probably four or five cartons of whole eggs and then some of those egg whites. Drop down oh uh, kind of leftovers on whatever the heck that shelf is. Uh, the second shelf. So uh, Mystery Meat. Yeah, and then below that would be starting to get into vegetables. There's a tray with like meat, cheese, butter, blah, blah, blah. You know, there might seem to be some cold cuts or whatever in there, turkey, um, butter, cheese, um, a drawer of peppers, probably if I had to guess, green peppers, uh some, some red peppers. Lettuce. Yeah, you know, stuff like that, you know, perishable kinda. Of mm mm-hmm fresh uh items there's another drawer that's usually full of apples and lemons um maybe a grapefruit and that's about it you know and then the freezer part of the fridge which has you know meat but mainly meat and bags of like peas and stuff ornaments on the doors you know, i don't
0: know right yeah <laughs> as we all yeah um according to the the new guidelines, it looks like you're following a lot of this stuff with the pattern, but you're not really too concerned about the saturated fat, right? You got egg yolks and cheese and butter. Um, why are you not concerned about sat fat?
1: I mean, I, in my mind, it's one of the healthier ones I can choose over the, like your, you know, vegetables and things <laughs> like that. So we do. Like I have, there, I didn't even mention that there's probably a jar of rendered beef tallow or pork lard in there as well, wow. and we yeah. have to like to line our cast iron pans and things like that or cook with. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'm just, the overwhelming evidence to me does not show that it's that bad of a choice and it's a lot better choice than a lot of things. So, and it's delicious. So,
0: yeah, I think it depends on what, <laughs> yeah, what you're layering it on. Like you're layering yeah. it on. There's a lot of high quality proteins. Yes. But vegetables and things like that, and, you know, non-processed foods, Whereas I think a lot of times people automatically assume that a high-fat diet, just like a high-protein diet, means a Big Mac diet, you know? Mm-hmm. And, again, we're back to the patterns thing, and that's why I like the patterns thing, right? Because yeah. as part of a diet that's rich in fruits and vegetables and, you know, lean meats and stuff like that, yeah, eh, you know? Um, is it having the same effect? That You know, that's very debatable. What about the raw milk? Is that just a convenience? Is it flavor, or is there something it's about raw delicious.
1: milk? It just, it just tastes really good. Okay.
0: It's, <laughs> it's really good. Fair. <laughs> so I can't go back to regular milk
1: after trying this. So, um, yeah, it's, that's, that's my main thing with it. It's just really good. Yeah. So.
2: It's the whole whole milk, so higher fat content. Yep, it's all here. just whole milk, yep. Yeah. So. Yep
1: you can see the big layer of cream sitting on top of you. Mm-hmm. you don't shake it up. Ooh, so, yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's really good. It does sound good. Actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh... Now I, I guess one, one risk would be with, um, unpasteurized milk. Of course you got to get it fresh, right? So you're yep. getting it fresh. Yep, we have to go out to the farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't we drive to... out there and pick it up. Right on. Man. Don't want to get listeria or something. Um, all right, Mike, what about um, you? Um, I always look to you for such variety when it comes to lifting-type stuff. Let's see, <laughs> let's see if your fridge reflects
2: this. Yeah. So right now, just kind of in random order, we've got some leftover steak we made the other night. So we pre-cook a whole bunch of it. So we would just have to heat it up and makes it easy. I've uh, got a little bit of venison leftover we made the other night. We got that from a friend, some venison steaks. And they're actually quite good. They were quite tasty we have in the protein department some chicken we put in a glass pan that's marinating so we'll throw that on the grill today all we did is just squeeze a bunch of lemons two limes sea salt pepper and uh, garlic press just kind of mix that all together leave it sit in your fridge uh, overnight covered on the bottom shelf Mm -hmm. so we'll throw that on the grill today i have some veggie shakes that i made up so these were carrots spinach lemons limes and wild uh, frozen blueberries. So just threw a bunch of those in a blender, kind of blended them up. <clears throat> Another trick on that, we just have them in the glass jars, and if you fill them like three-quarters of the way full, if you're in a big hurry, you can just throw a couple scoops of protein powder in there, and you get all your micronutrition and some protein, and if you need a lower-calorie uh, snack if you're running around. We have some liquid fish oil in the door. Of course, we have some dark beer, which is a coffee stout right now. Ooh. Uh, Yeah, it's really good. It's from a uh, local brewery in Duluth, actually. A bunch of eggs, butter, Parmesan cheese, one other random cheese that I'm (laughs) not sure what kind it is. Um, Some veggies down below, as we mentioned, spinach, carrots, lemons, limes. Uh, We have some potatoes. So this week, instead of rice, I've been doing more potatoes. So take a bunch of potatoes, we scrub the outside. Uh, I like putting sea salt on the outside and then just throw them in the oven. So we'll bake like seven of them at, at once. My parents got them from a farmer up from where they're at for, I don't know what they got, like 100 pounds of potatoes for like $30 or something. It was pretty cheap. Just cheap, yeah. So we got a bunch of those and just uh, they're already been cooked, so they're in the fridge and I found that if you throw them in a pan or something like that with some sort of uh, meat, we had that last night, uh, it doesn't take very long and they, they taste really good. So you get kind of maybe a little bit more of a different type of of starch, right? They used to do that with uh, white rice, right? So if you had white rice and you would cook it and reheat it and cook it and reheat it, you change the starch, the fiber content to so more resistant starch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also just easier. Uh, I've got some Greek yogurt, and I've ate all of them. But I've got one little packet of the the Oikos, the triple zero yogurt, which normally I eat when I travel. But we've been buying them lately. It's fifteen grams, and it's really not many calories to it. So if you're looking for a high calorie snack that's already pre-done, those are pretty good. Uh, what else we got here? the yeah, I Yeah, I think that's about it. I got some cookies in there of course sure tasty chocolate chip mm, very good mm, that's about it really other than some random condiments my wife uses some condiments i don't really use many i use like some coconut aminos sea salt basic stuff butter um yeah but she uses a few more of the condiments and what else that's about it there's a bunch of random stuff in the back i'm not sure i'm <laughs> not sure what it is
0: <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to Listen to this almost like a, a typical day's strategy. You know, like, what, am I, what patterns am I looking at there? Like Phil, you're doing a lot of the stuff um, unprocessed, a variety of foods. You're, you're hearing fruits and vegetables kinds of things. I'm not surprised at the wild blueberry, like the local thing, cause upper Midwest, that's just a delicious thing that's on hand, you know, and so different yeah. from regular blueberries, in my opinion.
2: But uh, I know yeah, that's just really one ingredient. Small. Like, we, these actually, we got surprisingly enough at Costco. Um, and they weren't that much more expensive, but they're really tiny. But I find just putting them in shakes or, uh, like you did, Lonnie, put them in your oatmeal. They're, they're really tasty. I Sweet. actually, I quite like them.
0: Yeah. They're, to me, they're sweeter and different from regular blueberries. Um,
2: yeah. And as weird as it sounds, they look even more blue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: now, you're obviously, just like Phil's not shying away from the fat. Uh, It sounds like you're purposely using sodium to marinate things and stuff like that, so you're probably not too worried about the sodium stuff.
2: No, I actually do better when I've added more salt uh, to things. Uh, So lately we've been using uh, Redmond sea salt, and then I bought some pink Himalayan sea salt, but I wanted it in a different size. So I bought the little bit bigger, kind of crystallized version, and I took our super old uh, coffee grinder, and where you just have the button that you press to so get to whatever style of coffee beans you want. So I took the crystallized sea salt, stuck it in there, and then kind of ground it up a little bit till I got the right consistency. Mm-hmm. So I was using that more for steaks and potatoes, and that worked pretty good. I tried putting it in a plastic bag and took a hammer and was trying to crush it on the floor till the plastic bag blew up and made a mm. mess. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> so it's been there. The coffee grinder. That works a little better. <laughs> Yeah, and like Phil, if we have leftover bacon, oh, we have some bacon in there too. Uh, We use the bacon grease for the cast iron pan. And then we've got primarily coconut oil if we're doing cooking. I don't cook with a lot of butter because I'm just kind of lazy. And if I don't watch it, it'll scorch. Right. (laughs) Put butter on afterwards. Yeah. Uh, But coconut oil, uh, lard, uh, bacon, all, you know, what's left over from that works pretty good. Yeah. You know what I'm not hearing from you guys is a ton of just. What I
0: might think an average American fridge, you know, large amount, you know, Oh, I, I got a two liter of Coke in there and uh loaf of white bread and you know, <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. Um, similar to you guys, um, uh, I've got some leftover ham still from the holidays. It's, it's still good. Bacon. Um, I got a carafe of cold brew coffee in there. Um, just for variety some smoked salmon. I like to eat smoked salmon, oh, and, you know, bagels and triscuits and stuff like that. Uh, it's funny. Over the years, I used to put it on there like a, at first almost like a condiment, you know, because some people are like, I don't know if I can do the fishes. It's smoked, but it's, it, it seems raw. And it's like, I don't, now I'm putting more salmon than cracker. <laughs> <It's Yeah>. like, <laughs> sort of that's Phil's thing, like the carbs are the vehicle, you know, mm-hmm. to get it into your mouth. Um lunch meat i i get nitrite free lunch meat so when with work starting up on monday again um you know i can just take big things a, a lunch meat i i have light string cheese uh just i think from a calorie perspective almost like, during the day like i'm not trying to eat more calories right now um but light string cheese is a great way to get high quality casein in you you know uh, in an enjoyable way i'll usually eat that with like some uh Baby carrots, you know, or just raw mushrooms that I dip in hummus or something like that. Yeah. Uh, portable,
2: too, for a protein. Yeah, it, no no
0: doubt, right, portable. I got some leftover Brussels sprouts in the fridge, some fresh salsa. Uh, not the regular salsa, but the fresh salsa that's, you know, not so cooked and salted and all that kind of stuff. I love that stuff. Good, good for the old prostate and the old man. Um, some light English muffins, and I've got some flatbread pizza crusts. And again, mm-hmm. yes, that's sort of refined carb in a way. It's sort of cracked, whole grain stuff. So maybe it's not refined. But again, the vehicle, right? What are we going to put on there? All olives and artichoke hearts and sun dried tomatoes and chunks of chicken. And, you know, so again, some thought there. I've got a thing of bone broth. That's my poor man's joint <laughs> remedy, you know. So I take my my fish oils and some of my other stuff in the morning, curcumin and stuff. or... Uh, some vitamin C, stuff in the morning. And I actually just fill a Dixie cu- couple of Dixie cups and I just swish it down. I, I take it with the bone broth just to get a little bit of you know collagen in there, I suppose. In the cabinet, yeah, I've got coconut oil, uh, coconut fat, if you will. I'm not shying away from that. In fact, we were just talking about COVID stuff. There's actually uh, some of our recent, uh, last year, let's say, episodes about coconut and MCT actually being in trials for trading uh, COVID-19. Interesting. I mean, I don't think I would do that by itself, but yeah. supportive kind of thing. So, yeah, so that's kind of the rundown. And, you know, this this is just a snapshot. It's not like this is going to be the same thing a month from now. It's There's going to be some consistencies here for all of us, I'm sure.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Another tip we went to recently, too, I don't know if I told this, is um, frozen green beans. Again, this time of year, they're from Costco there's a much farmer's market stuff going on. And I'm surprised that they're quite tasty and you can buy like a huge bag and you just boil water, throw them in a pan, and they're done in a couple of minutes. Because we used to buy more of the fresh version stuff, even off season. And it just, it just wouldn't keep that long. And sometimes I'm like, man, I don't want to eat green beans for like every single meal for four days in a row. So now you just have them in the freezer, and they only take a few minutes to to cook too. So that works out quite well.
0: That's a good tip because canned green beans that most people consume yeah. the gray, ugh. salt, <laughs> so bad, so yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's proof that if you overprocess anything, you're effing it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know gross and I think honestly that's why so many people are they don't eat enough fruits and vegetables because they're like, that oh. means I have to eat my canned green beans no yeah, it, yeah. there are a million <laughs> vegetables out there yeah. Wow, so all right, well, um, we said it would be a shorter episode today, everybody, and again, um, got to get this mic replaced, but uh unusually, I actually have a tidbit a sneak peek about some of the news next time. If if you're interested next week, we're going to talk about some uh, recent data on um, problems with being a vegetarian. Uh, So if you're a vegetarian, you can disagree. If you're, you know, a carnivore, you can cheer it on. There's some stuff about, Britain's got some new restrictive food laws. So we are just talking about salt taxes and stuff like that. And I don't know, are you stepping on people's freedoms or, you know, I mean, is it my God-given right to kill myself if I want <laughs> K- kind of thing? Uh, and then uh, a potential COVID risk for lifters. This is something that surprised me. And I don't mean exposing yourself in the gym, but it's something dietary that you might, you might want to avoid. I don't like avoid strategies, but this is something that you might want to avoid. So a couple of uh, tidbits coming up uh, next week. So having said that, I-, I guess we'll see you at that time. See you. Yeah.